welcome to the latest episode of EG Like Sunday Morning. This week, I'm delighted to be joined once again by senior writer Piers Wayner. That is his title, not me making a dig about his age. <laughs> and for the very first time on EGLSM, our intrepid court reporter, James Lumley. Great to speak to you both. And uh, there should be relief all around amongst our listening public that this is going out in podcast formats, because if it were on video, there would be rather a lot of hair on show. <laughs> You can't say that. You can't just leave that visual image with people. That's that's horrific. We have a, we have a full complement of beards and uh, two fairly long and one formerly uh, long floppy haired uh, participant who is slightly more shorn than the last time I saw him. Yes, we look we look like the, the least. Yeah, we look like the least terrifying Viking raiding party, don't we? We look just sort of <laughs> like the sort of people who turn up at Lindisfarne and be terrified of the monks. You know the Vikings loved moisturiser. <laughs> it's, it's true. Was it, was it made out of seaweed? Was it kelp? Yes, probably. Yeah. There you go. You always learn something new uh, on Easy Life <laughs> Sunday morning. Now, James, um, this week we, we've had confirmation, uh, if it were needed, that summer is most definitely over. Uh, not only are temperatures plummeting, but uh, the courts have cranked right back into gear after their traditional couple of months of quiet contemplation. Uh, we've had not one, but two major judgments this week, um, each arising out of the uh, the major impacts of the pandemic. So shall we take them in, in the order that the courts delivered them um, and start with the London Trocadero? Yeah, the, the Trocadero Centre. Okay. Yes, yeah, so well, that's, that's an interesting case. Um, the Trocadero Centre uh, in uh, Piccadilly Circus has got it's a home to the Picture House Central, the, uh, the 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 landmark sort of big cinema belonging to the Cineworld chain in, uh, in in London, and they haven't paid their rent according to the judgment since I think June last year, and have built up arrears of two point nine million pounds, and as you would expect, it's ended up in court, <laughs> and um, the the nub of the case is that the Cineworld because really it's Cineworld, they say, well, we, we, we leased uh, the, uh, the the area for use as a cinema and uh, we couldn't use it as a cinema because of the pandemic, so therefore we're not paying. Um, it's gone to summary judgment and they've lost. So it, it sounds as if it's quite an obvious result, but it, it isn't, um, because what they were saying was that even though there's no term in the lease, which relates to a pandemic. Had they known about pandemics, there would have been one. <laughs> um, and, you know, presumably there's going to be many pandemic clauses in leases going ahead. Absolutely. And the judge, yeah, uh, and, and the judge didn't, didn't, didn't dismiss it completely out of hand. He did point out that, that it's not always the case that, uh, that, 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 that the, the tenant's going to lose in this situation because there's a balance of risk between the landlord and the tenant. So he's not he's not suggesting a full-on return to the feudal system whereby if you own land, you could screw money out of everybody, whatever. <laughs> there, there is there is, you know, there is still sort of civil law and and, and equity and dare I say it, some level of fairness that uh, that takes place there. From Vikings to feudal law. Uh, <laughs> yes. This is the 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 utmost in topical weekly podcasts. Um, so, I mean, but uh, you, you say it wasn't dismissed out of hand, but obviously 
um, you know, the, they did find in favour of the landlord. Uh, and this follows a couple of similar cases earlier this year uh, yes. in, in which Westfield London and other landlords uh, were successful in in claims for unpaid rent against yes. Sports Direct and Cineworld and Mecca, Bingo oh. and the Fragrance Shop. And so for all that's been said about the various, you know, the, an endlessly extended moratoriums on rent arrears recovery, it does seem that um, for landlords uh, issuing a debt claim, a simple debt claim in court over unpaid rent, that the, the indication is that there is a likelihood that they will be successful. Yes, absolutely. And, and when I say it wasn't dismissed out of hand, it wasn't, but they did lose on summary judgment, so it didn't go to a full trial. So, uh, <laughs> yes. so yes, yes, it was, yeah. it was, it was a pretty, pretty obvious indication. They did get six hundred thousand pounds back though. They've reduced their rent by £600,000. So whether that covers their legal bills or not, I don't know. I wonder also whether they've started paying rent uh, because the uh, the judgment says no rent has been paid under the leases since June 2020. Well, they're definitely open for business this weekend because they're showing back-to-back Bond films. Yeah, I'm sure they must they must have about 40 showings, I would have thought, yes. based on my, my local cinema world. Um, yeah, and that should hopefully bring the coffers in and they can start start paying rent going forward. But yeah, coming up with the, the arrears might be a challenge. Um, but I, I imagine, um, you know, it, it, it would seem straightforward that if, if you issue a claim, you're going to be successful, that everyone will be doing it. But, but issuing litigation against one's tenant isn't always uh, the best solution for a landlord, is it? No, no, because it's it, it, it you know they've they, they've managed to not pay for the best part of two years, which uh, which you know now they have to pay, but uh, not paying is is essentially a, a loan. Um, Cinewell's a big company. Um, it's a huge international company. It's got you know, five hundred cinemas or so in the United States, hmm. hundred or so cinemas in the UK. If you remember, they were the company which, after the first lockdown, um, they made all of their staff redundant. Um, and and put cinema into in, in, into a mothball until until reopening again and got a lot of you know negative coverage from that. So they, you know, they they the the picture world cinema picture house cinema is very nice and very plush, but they're also run by serious corporate people. Mm. So yeah. this is this is you know also interestingly, they were definitely playing to win because they were trying to get back their March 2020 rent, which they said they'd paid accidentally. <laughs> um, but you know, perfectly logical because if 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 they get out of paying April 2020, well, why not get yeah. out of paying March too? Yeah. So yes, this was a this was a proper corporate attack, um, well 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 thought out, but um, ultimately unsuccessful. And turning from landlord success to a, a case of uh, landlord failure, we, we we see the other side of the coin, and we're reminded that where a beleaguered uh, retail tenant chain uh, seeks to rescue itself from from its um, hardships with a, a company voluntary arrangement, uh, which typically hits landlords in the pocket um, uh, in terms of lower rent uh, or possibly even you know no rent for poor performing stores. Uh, landlords who then seek to challenge those CVAs in court do seem doomed to fail. And, and this week uh, it was uh, one of the landlords of Cafe Nero's turn. Um, following high-profile CVA and restructuring cases earlier this year involving Virgin Active and, and New Look, so so what happened this time? Right, what happened here? This 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 is Cafe Nero, um, who again, yes, they 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 were offering their landlord thirty pence in the pound 
in a restructuring deal. And um, the, all the, the, uh, the, the creditors were voting on the CVA through an electronic voting system. Three quarters of the way through, the owners of Leon and Asda, a pair of um, Bolton-based billionaires, um, made, made, made a bid um, in which they were offering the landlords uh, 100 pence in the pound. They were offering to pay everything back. Um, some of the landlords thought that the voting should be stopped and the, the bid should be considered, but the company went ahead and uh, and rejected the bid and uh, and went with the uh, arrangement which which offered thirty pence in the pound. Now this 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 is what makes this slightly different from the other mm. CBAs. So the landlord here is he's a landlord of a cafe Nero in Stratford upon Avon. He's being bankrolled by the billionaire Bolton businessman. Um, Say that three times fast. <laughs> bankrolled by the billionaire Bolton businessman, uh, and uh, he he he's arguing that uh, he was unfairly treated, and and he's making all sorts of allegations. The judge has looked at them all, and he said that the suggestion that had the billionaire Bolton businessman bought or had the billionaire Bolton businessman's... Um, Hang on, they're, they're brothers as well. Can you say brothers? They are, they are. They're brothers. Can we have billionaire <laughs> Bolton businessman brothers bought? <laughs> yes. Had the bid from the billionaire Bolton businessman brothers been considered, it might not actually have led to what Mr Young, is that his name? Uh, thought was going to happen. It might not mm. have actually come to fruition. It was really a wrecking, it might well have been a wrecking um, uh, uh, idea at the, at the last minute to push the company into insolvency. Also, um, this isn't property related, but it's actually quite interesting for people who are involved in banking and debt and restructuring. Uh, the, the vote was computerised and it seems the judge thought there was very little way to stop the vote once it had started. Um, so even if they had decided to to uh, stop everything and reconsider it, um, no one really knows how they would have done that. So not stopping everything and getting off uh, was, uh, was 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 not really possible. And uh, Mr. Young's suggestion that uh, had things been done the way he wanted them to be done, he would have got all of his money back and all the landlords would be happy. Probably on the optimistic side. Mm. So that that's that's that judgment, uh, which makes it slightly different from from New Look and mm. Active. Uh, when you say doomed to failure, no, I want to say totally doomed because if you remember, there was the Regis, Regis. Okay, back yes. in May. Um, glimmer of hope. Glimmer of hope and NCP. We had NCP, and then they and then they and then they then they abandoned it three quarters mm. of the way through. Um, and New Look is going to the Court of Appeal. So, but still, yes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. It, you know, it, it, uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be um, fighting that battle, but then uh, I don't invest in property. And well, well done, you, you got through all that without mentioning EG Group, which is good because it avoids any, any confusion that we might be involved <laughs> in this case in some, some way. So, so well is done. Is that, that not us? I, oh, <laughs> I, I thought we owned Asda. Oh. I, I don't think it's us, and I don't think it's the gin people either. That's, oh, that's really disappointing. Oh. Yeah, turning to peers, uh, although I'm sure you'll you'll have your own opinions on this, James. Um, this week, uh, you've taken a look at Labour's pledge to lower and then ultimately scrap business rates. So, so what's your take on the plan, and and how has the sector reacted? 
Well, this is it's quite interesting that um, this has formed part of Labour's annual conference uh, this year, which is the first one that they've been able to do in the flesh mm. for that sounds horrible um, <laughs> in person, <laughs> not virtually. Um, since actually since Keir Starmer became leader. So it's it's quite interesting from that respect. And it really does mark a massive shift. Um, the, the talk is is far less about policy. There's very there was very little policy in any of these speeches. Oh. I don't know if, if you were following at all, but um, there were there were glimmers of a sort of direction. Uh, but what there really was 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 a very kind of pro business mindset, and the the biggest example of that is this announcement by Rachel Reeves, the the shadow chancellor, um, to abolish business rates. Which is massive. I mean, it's a massive thing to say. We've got we've got a government currently that has been saying they're going to reform business rates, and they've been saying it for quite some time. In fact, it feels like an eternity. It might not be quite that long, um, and we're still waiting for the review to come out. That should be coming out in October with the uh, with the autumn budget. But that's what they said last time. So I think there's in the industry there's a, a bit of you know waiting for this this thing that hopefully will will lead to some solutions for what is an almost universally hated system. Um, and then along comes Labour and out of the blue, I don't think many people were expecting this at all, says, well, we're just going to abolish it. We're going to get rid of it altogether. And the response has been extraordinary um, from quite a lot of the business lobbies. So the business members groups, CBI, BRC, BPF, etc. There's There's been this sort of broadly welcoming stance of this is amazing even the opposition thinks that this is something worth talking about for starters and you know not only do they want root and branch reform they want to lock down the tree altogether um but then the more you get into it the more you get the the people who've had a chance to, to sort of look into the detail saying actually this might not be such a good idea. I mean, it's <laughs> it's really complicated, and that's kind of why the government hasn't brought forward its review yet. You know, this this is mm. something that's going to take an awful lot of time to sort out. And simply saying we're going to scrap it is is potentially not the solution. I mean, we had um the, in the the piece that I've written, um, we've had a, a, a few people like uh, John Weber coming forward saying um at, at Collier's saying that um. You know, it's kind of grandstanding. It, it's kind of, it's it's eye catching. It's it's a way of getting people to to say, oh, aren't they pro business? But actually, it's impossible to deliver. And Jerry Sherder, who's uh, Gerald Eve, he was, he kind of said the same thing, but in in a nicer way. You know, in a slightly more conciliatory um, <laughs> use of words. But um, but yeah, just just this idea that, that the detail is going to be really difficult. Um, the direction that it looks as though they want to go in is to get rid of business rates and replace it with something that's similar but more fine-tuned that has um, revaluations uh, um, sort of very, very rapidly one after the other. Um, there's no detail on when, but as opposed to the current system where you have that is based on valuations from back when I was in short trousers. Mm -hmm. um, I actually am still wearing short trousers, but that's, that's irrelevant. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
and also the uh, the other idea is is to to really big up the online tax. Mm. Um, so the the quip from Rachel Reeves was that um, if you can afford to fly to the moon, then you can afford to pay your taxes here on planet Earth. Again, brilliant, eye catching, ear catching, headline grabbing. Well done, fantastic. But as the experts said, if you shift it all onto an online tax, then Firstly, not only does that mean that you don't have a competitive advantage as the UK, but also you're going to likely be in contravention with the very global deal that we've just put together on taxing these online giants. So it's it's been one of those brilliant mixed responses of people saying, fantastic, yes, thank you. Thank you for drawing attention to this again. Thank you for, for being pro-business. Um, but it's going to be far more difficult than just scrap it and somehow magic up the 30 billion quid that it raises each year. And there are other problems as well. I mean, I could go into this. I could be very boring about this. Um, but most of the the money that's raised from business rates still goes locally. It, it's, mm. you know, it's local authority raised and it, it predominantly stays there. An online tax would be centrally raised. It would go into central coffers and do you really think that any government that is as centralized as the ones that we've seen recently would let any of that go back locally i mean it's it's really unlikely so yeah it, it was it was kind of eye-catching headline grabbing but ultimately the devil is in the detail oh that old cliche and from what you say, it sounds as if they, uh, the government is going to um, abolish a tax that they don't get hold of. Well, yeah, I mean, not, not the government tax. abolishing it. So it's... it's um, we'll, we'll, we'll abolish a tax that the local authorities get. Well, yes, yeah. So this is this is Labour saying that if they form the government, then they'll get rid of it um, yeah. and then ramp it up. So, yeah, maybe it is some dastardly idea to centralise taxation even further. But uh, I think uh, I think it's more likely that they're... They're genuinely trying to find a way of fixing what is a serious problem um, for retailers, for landlords, for small businesses. Uh, and yes, there are reliefs. Yes, there, there are numerous rates reliefs, um, but it's still crippling for quite a lot of them. Um, and in most cases, many cases, you're seeing business rates being more than rents. Oh, which actually brings us on. Um, Andrew Adonis, Lord Adonis, said that... Um, that a, a friend of his, a very senior friend, um, had said that that business rates weren't paid by businesses, that it was a wealth tax, and that landlords would put up rents by forty billion pounds. I think it was forty billion pounds. It was it was made up number of pounds, um, which is kind of an interesting way of of looking at the problem. You kind of have to turn it on its head and think a bit creatively to make that sense, to make sense of that. Um, and unfortunately, Twitter didn't have the time, so instead they just called him all sorts of. Uh... Yeah, they had some interesting words for him. <laughs> they some did. Of which, some of which were printed in in full law or in part uh, in this week's diary page. Yeah, so, some of which have uh, I, I've noticed little asterisks um, <laughs> to, to cover our blushes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, lurching from one crisis to another, uh, Piers. Uh, this week you produced a very timely piece for our UK cities guide uh, on electric vehicles. Um, so uh, apart from uh, their, their current very notable advantages over <laughs> petrol and diesel fuel cars, what, what did you learn? 
Well, uh, one thing that I learned is that um, events, dear boy, will always scupper a good intro. Um, <laughs> and I, I was just thinking, it that particular page went to the presses just before the fuel crisis started. <laughs> so I was just kicking myself like that's the perfect hook. Um, but never mind, these things happen. So um, it has, I mean, I have uh, my brother features in the article that I wrote because he's involved in um, in that industry. And I thought, you know, why not? Um, and I, I spoke to him this week to ask his views on the fact that uh, I haven't been able to fill up the tank of, uh, of fuel in my van for uh, for a week um, and haven't been able to go anywhere. And his response was, <laughs> which was mature. Um, but, but an incredibly good point. Um, it's quite. It is quite interesting that the to use another terrible cliche. Um, it's the cliche that you'll hear if you go to any any conference or uh, group where there are lots of people talking about electric vehicles and the infrastructure. Then the phrase you hear again and again and again is "chicken and egg." And the main problem is that what you need is a vast amount of investment. You need a lot of money coming in. You need a lot of um, the charging points to be built very quickly. Um, landlords need to be able to to put them into their schemes and to be able to really understand how they can best use them, how they can use them to to bring in uh, visitors' footfall, to keep their tenants, to future-proof their buildings, all of that sort of thing. But it requires money or it requires partnerships and deals and it requires quite a lot of um, tricky legal thinking. I mean, the legal aspects, especially with multi-let buildings, are frightening. But I'll leave that to you boys. You have to worry about that sort of thing, not me. <laughs> uh, uh, but on the other hand, the investors are holding back until more people are driving electric vehicles. And the problem, as um, as Allegra Stratton, who is the COP26 uh, spokesperson and um, Boris Johnson's former spokesperson, as she said, oh, I don't think it's the time yet to, to buy an electric vehicle. Um, I'm just worried about range anxiety and where would I fill it up? And that's... That, I mean, she's she's the spokesperson for COP26, so... What she actually said was, oh, I think I'll do it when the batteries can allow the car to yeah. go 200 miles. So now, then, <laughs> although, I mean, that's that's more complicated as well, because I, um, my going back to my brother, my brother's got a Polestar 2, oh, wow. and I, I had a go in this, and it's it's zippy. It's not a Nissan Leaf. It's not like Sam. Editor Sam's got a, a Nissan Leaf, which um, she says range anxiety is a real issue, as is it just sort of going. Is that, is that why she spends so much time on her bicycle? I think so. I think she's faster on her bicycle. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I'm sure she is. Um, but yeah, his his one is ridiculous. It flat out. It's like naught to sixty in four and a half seconds, and it just peels your face off. I felt like my eyes were in the back of my skull after having a go in this thing. Um, but if you do that to it, it doesn't really get you two hundred or three hundred miles. It it it's considerably less um, because it gets you arrested. It does. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I think that the problem is that more people should have a go at an electric car because if they had a go at an electric car, and I and I love my petrol three liter old vintage car very much, but I, I these electric cars, some of them are like Mario Kart. They're fabulous. They're so fun. Yeah. I mean, this, and this this is the thing. The, the the 
Allegra Stratton, if she had a go, she'd probably want her to have one. But you know, she's not wrong. There aren't enough places to charge them. Um, we're worried about queuing up around the block to get <laughs> fuel at the moment. But actually, if you're in a place that doesn't have decent EV infrastructure, then that's what you have to do now. You have to queue up around the block, unless you can charge it at home. But if you're charging it at home, then you won't have a, a high-speed one. You, you'll have domestic supply, which means that it'll take you all night, um, which could be fine. But if it's not, then you've got to go out. So there are, there are problems. And this is the chicken and egg thing, you know. Investors will come in when more people buy EVs and more people will buy EVs when the investment has come in and there's a really efficient charging network, both public and private, that is the envy of the world. But, this is the big but, for investors and for landlords and for the rest of us who are thinking, hmm, should we get one? When you get to 2030, you won't be able to buy a new petrol or diesel car when you get to 2035 you won't be able to buy a new hybrid car none of which bothers me because my car's 12th hand anyway but that whole market will start to shelve off until you get to 2050 when there won't be any petrol or diesel cars on the roads at all unless you know they're they're like yours they're a, um they're a collector's uh, delightful piece of engineering um <laughs> But then you won't have anywhere to fill them up because all of the petrol and diesel stations will have been converted to EV charge points. But that's that's the thing for, for landlords and investments is that this is an inevitability. It is happening. There is absolutely nothing you can do to stop this change. So well, suck well, it up. It's think. a complicated discussion. And it is so complicated. And I've been looking into electric vehicles because I'm fascinated by them. I, I read and read and read and I just go, oh, I've got a bicycle. <laughs> There are there are no problems in, in, in the world that can't be solved with a bicycle, I personally believe. But, you know, that's, that's just me. It, some people get very upset when I say that. And, and maybe some people are screaming at their iPhones at the moment. But bicycle, everybody. And, and if, if, you're, if, you're, if, if you're really wimpy, you can get an electric bike. That's true. Yeah. Mm. But then where do you charge it? Oh, wait, no, that's not quite so difficult, is it? No. Charge it. <laughs> But uh, yeah, how do, how do you get up to see your uh, your folks in in Nottinghamshire, James? I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All of life's all of life's questions answered uh, in one podcast. So uh, th- thank you both uh, for joining me. Uh, apologies to anyone listening who was holding out for the quiz of the week. Uh, we've been so chock full of content this week, as well as chock full of beards, that uh, we paused the quiz for this week. It will be back, no doubt, next time. Uh, but yeah thank you James Uh, you'll have to do this again Uh, and Piers uh, great to have you on as always thank you very much thank you Jess you have been listening to EG Like Sunday Morning